Bullshit and true crime. I'm Bree. I'm Bert the Boy Wade. 28 year old Wade. For the first time. No, I'm 26. You're 28. 26. You're a liar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about some gnarly shit. Yeah. What are we talking about? Trailer park crime. Trailer parks. Trailer trash. Mm hmm. Trailers. There's nothing like Mr. Leahy, Ricky, and Bubbles, so. <laughs> but. I did find a lot of headlines. Oh, yeah. One of my assignments I gave to Wade was to look up funny trailer park headlines. Do you want to read those before I do my background? Well, I was doing the research, and I was like, oh, I'm doing really good. But they're all headlines from Trailer Park Boys. So so you didn't find any? No. Not really. Good. But there's a, a lot of, not necessarily like, I guess, I guess you just call it, like, statistics on neighborhoods, and they called it divisions and districts. Ones that had trailer parks and ones that didn't? Not necessarily that. They actually, like, deemed, like, it, like, we're from Fresno, so you got West Fresno, East Fresno, North Fresno, that. South Fresno. I'm not just saying, I'm not saying that, but they, from, like, those districts... They deemed certain areas in those districts more suited for crime. And in every district, no matter what side of town you were on, trailer parks had a very high statistic rate for crime and criminal activity. In Fresno specifically? No, no, no. no. I was just using it as like oh, a okay. hypothetical gotcha. reference. Because they always say like North Fresno like the richest and then you you know west fresno is like farm are east there fresno. trailer parks in north fresno yeah there, really? shit there's one right off of herndon like dead center of north fresno are you talking about the one i used to live across from well there's that one and then there's a couple more i wouldn't call that north fresno that's technically north fresno but yeah oh, interesting well along with it being wade's birthday today we also filed for unemployment oh yeah yay coronavirus yeah, right. We, Quarantine. We chose to, though. We are essential employees, but my dad has a very weakened immune system. I have an autoimmune disease as well and have been nervous about it for a while, so we decided to do the right thing and stay home. Yes. Doctor's orders. Yeah. So... It'll be boring, but it's safer that way, and we want to keep Dad safe, and we want to keep me safe, and everybody else safe, and all that, so that'll be good. Yeah. Also, work's been very hard lately. I, you know, we had all that stuff happen with PG&E and lost per diem, so we used to be out in West Point where we were supervisors. We got pulled back to this division, which was great, because we were working from home, but we're underneath a supervisor that we just don't really see eye to eye with, so that has been very difficult. And our company is losing work in our area. So now the two months that we've been home out of the past, what, 10 months, almost a year. And now if we want a job after all this coronavirus stuff, we're more than likely going to be working away from home. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. It's just been hard for a lot of reasons. Yeah. That's all. But I am, I was very nervous about 
doing this, but we called HR. Our HR lady was so nice, super supportive, said that they would approve our unemployment. Um, so that's what's happening. And besides that, nothing really happened this week because we've just been going to work and then coming straight home. I got sick later last week, at the end of last week. Not the coronavirus. Not the coronavirus. Had no trouble breathing. But, um, yeah. I don't think we had anything else happen, did we? No. No. Nothing. Anybody that listens to the podcast that knows me, though, I've been making hand sanitizer because we have an aloe plant. So if anybody wants to buy some hand sanitizer off of me. And smudge sticks. And smudge sticks. I have smudge sticks coming out my butt. I foraged eucalyptus pine and cedar and rosemary for the base. And then I wild foraged a bunch of amazing smelling wildflowers and used those. And those purify the air as well when you burn them. So you want to get to getting? Let's get to getting and get it done. I did do a little bit of background this week. Been asked. I titled it Trailer Parks, Yo, Trashy, Methy Madness. That's accurate. Yeah. A trailer park is an area for mobile homes and travel-type trailers, in case you didn't know. A few advantages to trailer parks are low-cost housing compared to other avenues, and you can just link that motherfucker up and tow it wherever the wind blows you. Right? Mobile home. Mobility. It is estimated that 12 million Americans, um, what does that word say? Live, damn. 12 million Americans live in roughly 45,000 parks throughout the nation. She wrote these notes too, by the way, everybody. I did. Yeah, so she doesn't even know what she wrote. I had to write that really tiny. I couldn't see the eye. Okay, it said I've, and I was like, that doesn't make sense. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of trailer parks. Uh, especially in American culture, trailer parks are stereotypically seen as a lower-income housing with occupants living at or below the poverty line, which generally is pretty true, I would say. For most, yeah. We have a senior trailer park by where we live. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a, it's like one of those apartment communities that you have to be 55 and over to live at, except it's a trailer park. And I gotta say... It's super cramped in there. Like, for living in the mountains, those trailers are even closer together than most trailer parks, I feel like, in town. But it's clean. Their trailers look really nice for the most part. Yeah, they're just, it. it's like a campground, so it's weird. What do you mean it's a campground? Most of them, the way it looks like, is like a campground. Like, you're going up camping, and there's a bunch of people with different... Oh, I fucked up, guys. Trailers Hold on. and campgrounds. Okay, and she's back. That was my uh, alarm going off for my birth control, but I took it, guys. I took it. We're good. Yay, we're good. Okay. No surprises. No surprises. Fuck surprises. It is also stereotypically thought that residents of trailer parks have a lower social status in general and participate in nefarious behavior. Which, a lot of the time, also true. That trailer park I lived across the street from was so bad. I heard some crazy, like, crazy shit going on in there sometimes. Yes, there's a lot of shit. Tornadoes and hurricanes often inflict serious damage onto trailer parks and the trailers within them, which I didn't even think about until I read that, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of scary. 
This is usually due to the fact that trailers are not securely fixed to the ground atop a foundation. Their design and construction is significantly less able to withstand high wind forces in comparison to their standard home counterparts. Yes. So you're not quite as safe. I've also lived in mobile homes, and that shit falls apart real quick. Fun fact on this topic, though. Most modern manufactured homes are now built to withstand high winds, thank goodness, given that hurricane straps and proper foundations are used. What the fuck's a hurricane strap? Obviously a strap that holds the house down in a hurricane. That's a strong strap. Yeah, there's probably multiple of them. Hmm. Interesting. I never knew that. Now time for a story. <laughs> okay. This one comes from an unnamed source. The source was a paramedic for over 30 years here in the States. Those of you that know us well will have no problem guessing who it is, but because they're telling a story from, you know, when they were employed somewhere, I'm going to go ahead and keep that. Hush, hush. Hush, hush. Not stated. On the down, Lizzle. Uh, but also to protect the victim, the ambulance company, all of it. No naming names. Here we go. One afternoon in the mid-90s, the unnamed source was dispatched to a trailer park in the area that they were working on a call for a possible 1144, a.k.a. a dead body, which I didn't know that was, that was the code for that. 1144, like 10-4, except... Yeah. Dead body? 10-4, but 1144? Yep. Okay. Okay. Um... The source pulled up to the scene with their partner and after stepping out of the ambulance immediately smelled decomp. Without even entering the trailer, the two medics were already certain they would be dealing with a dead body for this call. My source tells me the body was in the, quote, sweet stage of decay and they knew the smell very well. So not only does decomp have kind of like a sickly sweet smell, there's a stage in decomp where it smells the sweetest. I think after the first week or two. Hmm. So he could already tell pretty much like how decomposed the body was going to be by smelling it. So the medics entered the trailer to find nothing in the living room out of order. However, after entering the bathroom, they found clotted blood filling the toilet, the tub, and there was blood all over the bathroom floor. Even with all the blood, the medic knew that it was not a crime scene. The seasoned medic recognized the smell of a GI bleed within the restroom. So, you smell a lot of smells, apparently, when you're paramedic. <laughs> and just like the smell of decomp, a GI bleed has a very specific smell. A GI bleed is a gastrointestinal bleed, which is you're, you're bleeding out from one of your internal organs on the inside, basically. Or no, it's intestinal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so your intestines. Yeah, you had a hernia that busted, and now you're bleeding out from your intestines, and you're going to... Not necessarily a hernia, but maybe a... Something, um puncture wound, something, I don't know. No, what's the word I'm looking for? Or ulcer. There you go. Yeah, yeah if it... That's what I meant. The ulcer perforates all the way through. So, this smell is very distinct and disgusting, and it's so unique that the source that was telling me the story couldn't even, like, really describe it to me, but he was like, I knew what it was as soon as I walked in there. The medic continued down to the bedroom in the trailer. On the left-hand side of the bedroom was the dresser, and then next to that was the bed. In between the bed and the dresser, there was maybe like a foot, foot and a half gap. 
There was a deceased woman in her 70s with her hands behind her back, her face wedged up on the side of the dresser. Um, By the scene, it seems as though the person went into the bathroom, had that huge bleed out, went into the bedroom to change their pants, went to pull their pants up, and then fell forward. Their face hit the dresser, and then the rest of their body was wedged in between the dresser and the bed. You feel me? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, just by assessing the situation, that's kind of the conclusion that they came to. At that point, they confirmed the death of the patient and recorded the necessary information that they needed to. It was super clear that she was dead and had been dead for, you know, a little while. Then came the body move. Two or three hours later, they were dispatched back to the scene to move the body to the coroner's office. Which, at the time, for that county was standard. Um, That specific county, during this time, had a deal... Like, the ambulance company that had that contract, the coroner's office in the county, had a deal that basically the ambulances were like subcontractors for the coroner company. So instead of the coroner going out to pick up the body, the medics would just go out and pick up the body and bring it into the coroner's office. And then the ambulance company made some kind of profit off that. Weird, but it was a thing. Generally, the coroner picks up the bodies. So they went back to the trailer with the body bag in tow. The body was still fully intact. There was, you know, not a whole lot of bloating. It Mm. had not been there for a crazy long time, so they thought it was going to be no big deal. The medic estimated the patient had been dead for, oh, three or four days. Not even a week. Three or four days. And luckily, it was not summertime, so not too nasty. So the plan was to open up the body bag, unzip it, lay it beside the patient, pull her body off of the dresser where she was wedged, and then roll her body into the body bag, zip her up, bring her to the coroner's office. My source grabbed her shoulders, and his partner had the body by the hips. As they began to remove her from the dresser, the facial skin, including the eyelids and lips, stayed on the dresser. Rest of the body, rest of the body moved back. So the head came off, and the face stayed on the dresser. He said you could literally see like the eyelids and the cheeks and the lips and everything just stuck to that dresser. Also, there were maggots filling the facial skin left behind on the dresser. He said there was like a glob of them, and as soon as the head was pulled apart from the face that there was just like this big glob of maggots that just oozed out and started like down the dresser yeah they picked as many like as much of the facial skin off of the dresser as they possibly could and plopped it in the body bag with her because even like my my source told me even when they would have body pickups where it was someone who jumped in front of a train to commit suicide Like, even if it's the smallest amount or it's stuck to something or whatever, like, you still have to keep that with the body. That's still part of their remains. So they're sitting there, like, literally picking flesh off of the fucking dresser to put it in there. The medic actually had the opportunity to watch the autopsy on that patient later, too, and got to see, like, the part in her intestines that, you know, had bled out, and that's what actually killed her. But that's my uh, trailer park story. Bam. I thought some of you guys would enjoy that. I was like, ugh, cool. Crazy. That was a good one. That was a good one. Can I tell my story first? 
Or do you want to go first? Because you're the uh, birthday I boy. I thought that was your story. No, that was my background. Oh. That was just a side story to okay. fill up my background. Okay. Sorry about the I dogs. said, Source, what's the craziest call you've ever had at a trailer park? And that's what I got. Go for it. Do yours first. Mine first? Even though you're the birthday boy? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Go for it. I did my story, which Wade and I almost did a story on the same person. Thankfully, he asked me. On Guy Hines Jr., a.k.a. the Glen County Mass Murder. Yeah. It's famous. It is. It's famous. I tried in vain to find a, like, funny or ludicrous trailer park crime, but was absolutely and completely unsuccessful. Or if I did find something, it was literally, like, a paragraph long. And that's all the information I could find on it. Did you have the same kind of issue? Yeah, pretty much. Because the two we did are the only ones that really had any information I could find. Uh, yeah. Because I almost did his. So now, I present to you a white trash horrific murder. On August 29th, 2009, a horrific tragedy took place that would make national headlines and rock Brunswick, Georgia to its core. Let me set the scene. Heinz Jr. lived in the New Hope Mobile Home Park in Brunswick, Georgia. Pretty normal, except for the fact that, including him, there were ten fucking individuals living in that trailer. Ten! It was a single-wide, teeny-tiny trailer with ten people in it. That's too... That's, that's overdoing it. That's like nine too many. Exactly. That's way too much. Can't, do, can't be doing that. It made me claustrophobic and anxious just hearing that. Heinz Jr. and his father, Heinz Sr., who was 45, were among 10 who lived in a single-wide mobile home rented by Russell Toller, who was 44. Also living there was Toller's sister, Brenda Falligan, 49. Russell's sons, Michael and Russell Jr., both 20. Russell's daughters, Chrissy, who was 22, and Michelle, who was 15. Chrissy's son, Byron Jimerson, which I didn't have an age for him, and Chrissy's boyfriend, Joseph West. So all of them all up in that trailer. Most of them were addicts of crack cocaine. Well, of course. Crack is whack. As most of you can guess, this trailer was in straight-up shambles. Trap trailer, people. It was bad. It was disgusting. Junky house. Yeah. To have, not even a house, junkie manufactured home with wheels. Junkie trailer. Yeah, junkie trailer. Anyway, on this August evening, sometime between midnight and 8 a.m., Hines decided he wanted a bottle of Darvaset that belonged to another one of the trailer residents, 19-year-old Michael Toller. So that's one of Russell's sons. And I asked my dad what Darvaset was, and he told me it's some kind of, like, a painkiller... But it, like, sedates you, basically. So if you're super anxious or you're freaking out or whatever, you can still function, but it sedates you, in a way. Um, this 19-year-old boy, Michael Toller, also happened to have Down syndrome. So he's literally trying to bully this 19-year-old boy that he's known for this kid's entire life into giving him his prescription that was prescribed to him. Yeah, that's fucked up. It is fucked up. And how fucked of a person do you have to be to steal a prescription prescribed to an individual with Down syndrome that you've known for years? Apparently as fucked as this guy is. And even more so, because you'll see. Hines even referred to this guy as his cousin, this 19-year-old kid that he was trying to 
bully into getting that bottle from. So Mr. Douche Canoe wanted this Darva set so bad, and said Douche Canoe ended up getting into a confrontation with 19-year-old Michael Toller's father, Russell Toller. Russell was never going to give Heinz those pills. Heinz had to take the pills for himself. And take them he did. Oh, take them he did. After the confrontation happened initially over the pills, it's thought that Heinz left the trailer and then returned later to retrieve the pills at any cost. And let me just say, out of all the drugs to kill a bunch of people over, Darvaset? For real, homie? It's a hell of a drug. You could go get a teener of meth and be high all day and way more powerful than this shit. I don't, it just, it didn't make sense to me. Then, at 8.15 a.m. on the 29th, I'm talking about meth like I did a bunch, but you might fucking dinner and feel great all day. Da, 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 da. To preface it, I have never done meth on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> hey. <It happens. laughs> Cocaine in Fresno. And ecstasy. Yeah. Anyways. Then, at 8.15 a.m. on August 29th, Hines called 911 stating everyone in the trailer was dead and had been beaten to death. Specifically, he said they had all been beaten to death, which is like, how do you... Okay. He claimed he had been gone the entire evening, and when he returned that morning, he found the grisly scene. Convenient, right? When authorities arrived, they found seven confirmed dead bodies and two people that were injured in the trailer. Byron was the only person to survive at the end of it, which is Chrissy's son, so I I'm pretty sure he was the youngest individual to live in that trailer. Um, Michael Toller was still alive when they arrived at the scene, that 19-year-old boy that had the Darvaset, but he died at the hospital later from his injuries. Like previously stated, the trailer was in straight-up shambles. Garbage and drug paraphernalia littered the entire trailer. Makeshift rooms were made to try and, like, divide the trailer and provide some sort of privacy for the 10 individuals living there, which I was trying to even come up with that in my head. Like, there's not even enough room in a single wide trailer to make 10 different compartments, so they probably made, what, five? I don't know. They probably made, they probably made 10. They probably did some like shoots and stuff. But how know. do you make that work? How do you have a place for 10 people to sleep in a trailer? I don't know. There's a couch. There's usually the a pull-out bed. There's usually only one room in a single wide trailer, right? No. Two. I mean, two. You have four. All the single wide trailers I've been in have had two rooms. I don't know. I'm sure there's bigger ones that exist. I'm sure there is. Anyways, <clears throat> they hung sheets up, trying to divide the place. Which I bet would be really eerie if you walked in there and there was a crime scene and everything's divided by sheets. After the investigation, authorities came to the conclusion that the victims had been beaten with a large instrument. This instrument was never actually found, but it was thought to be the broken barrel of a shotgun because the bloodstained stock of the shotgun was found at the scene, but the barrel was not. And by the injuries, it looked like it could have been from the barrel. Mm -hmm. Hines was caught washing himself in a nearby creek by authorities. Authorities were alerted to his location because a teenager was riding his bike through the area and witnessed Hines, covered in blood, shirtless, beating his chest and screaming, I am a warrior! All alone, out there. <laughs> okay. Yes. The obviously frightened teenager went back home and told his parents, who thankfully called the authorities ASAP. They were like, yeah, it's probably... We are definitely calling. Yeah. 
On October 20th, that's probably not the craziest thing you've seen if you live in the deep south that is Georgia. No. <laughs> Georgia's not the deep south, is it? Is it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. We sound stupid. Moving on. On October 25th, 2013, Hines was convicted of all eight murders. He was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole, which I think he definitely deserves. Uh, prosecutors decided not to seek the death penalty as part with the defense. They were nervous that a hung jury would happen, um, and this deal was worked out for both sides. Basically, the prosecution and the defense were kind of like, you know, we don't want our client to die by death, and... The prosecution didn't want to lose incarcerating him because of a hung jury, so they, it kind of worked out for both of them. Um, but my whole thing with this case was, like, he... It wasn't a crime of passion. Like, it wasn't something that happened in a split second because of rage, because he left for a few hours, and then he came back and did that. Mm. And this is all over, like, weak pharmaceutical medication. So all of this was just really hard for me to wrap my head around. And also, how did... They must have all been pretty fucked up if he killed eight people. The, yeah. I mean... And he beat all of them. Like, that's not quick. It's just... A lot of it seemed weird and crazy. I don't know. Any thoughts? How do you think he'd be able to... Maybe, maybe he drugged him and left and then came back? No, I don't see that happening either. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe they're just all getting high at the same time and he just went in there swinging. That's probably more than likely what happened. And he was probably high on meth himself. Why are our little lines so little? Because it zoomed out. Okay, so That's they can all. still hear us? Yeah, they can still hear us. Knock, knock. Are you see, there, look, listeners? Now look at the lines. They're super oh, big. Oh, now they're big. Okay. Yeah, back, from, back up from my... Back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Anyways. Speaking of Eminem, our neighbor, not even our neighbor next door to us, there's like a big meadow. We can't really see the neighbors that live on the other side of the meadow. They're a ways away. And this entire time that the shelter-in-place order has happened, they've obviously been off work because all day, every single day, they blast music so loud that it's, like, loud when I'm out on my patio. So I can't imagine how loud it is when they're in their yard. And I've heard Katy Perry. I've heard Eminem. I've heard mariachi music. I've heard opera music. What else have you heard? South Park theme songs. I've heard fucking... Like Tenacious D song, a bunch of random shit. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Rascal Flats. So it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's the neighborhood entertainment. It's good, good times. Good, good, good times. So my case is pretty current, actually. It happened in 2019. And when you Google trailer park crimes, it's like the only thing that comes up. Yeah. It's all over everything. And all of my research that I was doing. It, I got, like, the names, which I'm not going to share the names of the victims, but I am going to share one name of the victim and one name of the survivor. Can I say one thing before you start yeah. all the way? So I know all you motherfuckers turned me off as soon as we're done with our stories, so I'm going to catch it in the middle. We got a Gmail. Booze, BS, and true crime at gmail.com. It was the worst time to do this. I literally just started my case, and now you're going to do it. 
Should have ended your case, then did it, then let me start my case. I know, but I forgot. All right, go for it. So what's our email? Booze, bullshit, and true crime. Oh, then I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God, I just said it. (laughs) Booze, BS, and true crime at gmail.com. That's booze, BS, A-N-D, true crime at gmail.com. Send us your own personal stories. I'll say them on the air. Or if you just want me to know them and you don't want me to say it on the air, that's cool too. I also don't have to say your name. This can be anything. Hometown crimes, things you find in walls, ghost stories, crazy things that somebody you know that was a paramedic call-wise had. Any of that would be great. Or if you have an idea for us to do on an episode theme, we're running out of ideas. Send that to me there. You can also send it to us on Instagram and Facebook. We have both booze bullshit and true crime on instagram and facebook and remember we do have an asterisk for the eye and bullshit proceed good job (laughs) all right so this case is kind of unique on a couple levels and it does follow the fact that it is trailer park crime so yeehaw the first fact of this case is that it was a nine-year-old child that's being charged with first-degree murder of three children and two adults, as well as two counts of arson and one count of a uh, uh, aggravated arson. Oh wow! So the gender and the name of the individual, I could not actually one hundred percent confirm. So you I'm won't leaving be able it out. To. No, they're a minor. Yeah, so I just completely one hundred percent left it out. But it, this is unique because of the age of the individual. Not necessarily because, you know, it's where it's at or anything like that. The, the main thing is the individual is nine years old. So I was watching cartoons, picking my nose, and eating dirt still, I'm pretty sure, when I was nine. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine somebody committing arson. Yeah, no, I can't either. And did, do you actually have details on the crime <sighs> itself? Because I couldn't really find what happened. So the only, like, main details that I found were that he he was just i i don't know if he had intentions of actually killing them but he didn't really understand the whole thing of smoke inhalation i don't think you really even understand death at 9 years old no no, no. and that's like one of the bigger things about this case too and a lot of people have different opinions and a lot of fucking countries and counties or I mean states have different opinions about it because True. Mexico and certain areas I think at like age 12 they're stating that you could be tried as an adult for murder because you understand well actually I was talking to Wade about this the other day um shout out I found a new podcast it's called Ear Hustle and it's f- produced from within San Quentin and they talk about different aspects of the prison it's a really great podcast but anyways they were talking about how there's like all kinds of murderers in prison some of them were tried for the death penalty whether they got it or not a lot of them weren't um a lot of the people that weren't tried for the death penalty even if the murder was similar they have greatly varying sentences from each other a lot of this has to do with how good your lawyer was at what part of the nation you were tried in what people compromised or made up your your jury. There's a lot of shit. What judge you had? Yeah, that that's very true. 
So, actually, I was wrong. The minimum age is 14 for criminal responsibility in many uh, countries. And in Mexico, Canada, uh, the minimum age is 12. In the U.S., many states like Iowa have no... Uh, Iowa? Illinois, sorry. Illinois mm-hmm. have no... They don't have a minimum age. And where did this happen? Well, this was in Chicago. And what is Chicago's? Chicago, Illinois. No, I'm saying what's what was their... Oh, so they don't have a minimum age. No, okay. they don't have a minimum age. Gotcha. Yes. So the case actually happened 150 miles. So I think it's southwest or south-ish of uh, Chicago. And Still in good, Illinois, though? Yeah, Goodfield, Illinois. Goodfield, huh? Yeah. So this happened at uh, Timberland, Timberline Mobile Home Park. And the victims were a one-year-old child, two two-year-old children, a 34-year-old man, and a 69-year-old man. There was two survivors, one of them being uh, Miss Alwood, Alwood. she was 27, and one of her children. So Alwood actually lost her fiancé, the 34-year-old man, her two children, which were the twins, and uh, a niece and a grand, uh, her grandmother. How many goddamn people fire. were living in this trailer? That many. <laughs> Damn, that's a yes. lot. So, when the firefighters arrived at the scene, they they actually showed up like minutes after the fire was reported. The trailer had already been like it it, it was engulfed in flames, like it was completely, it was completely on fire. Okay. So, uh, Miss Allwood, she actually shared a few things on her Facebook that I kind of thought were important to say because there was a lot of bad comments and hatred towards the nine-year-old kid for what he had done, per se. And she was saying that she was pretty much getting annoyed with all the hatred. And she said that she would appreciate... If everyone would stop the hate comments, he's only nine, he needs help, he's just a baby, so please stop. But what actually he did ca- he... He, had a, he caused the fire in the uh, trailer park. But do you know how? Like, no. you don't know if he was just playing with matches, or if he, like, what no, happened? No, So there's and no info I think he tried to actually, like, intentionally light the trailer park on that's fire. what it sounded like to me but yeah. didn't he try to intentionally light this trailer on fire yeah so it wasn't the trailer park it was no this that's trailer. what i meant the trailer their residence yes yeah i just wish i could but understand not, what actually I'm, happened yeah because everything it was just there's just too much of there, there was just no consistency between all the stuff that i saw what was some of the stuff that you saw was more or less just saying the kid had something out for one of the younger kids at the house but at the same time i'm like they're, they're one and two and then it was more or less like the kid was just troubled and you know he was just causing may, uh, mayhem or mischief and oh, one he was good nine thing. and he caught you know the little motherfucker knows how to set a fire apparently yeah 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 he does jeez so there's actually only 14 offenders that are under the age of 18 in the state uh, database and then yeah, well, 
sorry, in the federal database. So oh wow, yeah, okay. everywhere. And they're stating that the youngest offender on that list is actually 15 years old. Not anymore. And there were four 15. There was four of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, the biggest thing with like underage kids is they're more involved in family shootings, public shootings, and gang-related attacks, and majority of the younger kids like the 15 16 year olds were involved in those two family shootings public shootings and gang related attacks because they were more or less influenced to do it okay they weren't stating that there were well, i'm sure that there was diminished but responsibility yes in a sense and then like the 17 and 18 year olds they wholeheartedly like showed that they had the intentions and they knew what they were doing and they caused this mayhem this havoc whatever it was being said i feel like a lot of mental growth tends to happen if you're doing it right between those ages though like 15 and 18 yeah so the uh the county attorney um his greg minger so i'm just gonna call him greg anyways he had a couple professionals look into the case and give their professional judgment of the case and how a nine-year-old could or could not fully understand the like the effects of their actions and like what they actually caught thank you yeah so there's a few reports that actually were stated in the articles that i were looking at and most of them were like studies of younger children that had been accused of like mass killings and stuff as late uh since as late as 2006 sorry wait say that again sorry <laughs> it, the the statistics the the fucking spreadsheet that i looked went all the way back to 2006 okay nothing gotcha. further than that okay so it wasn't it was quite a bit but not too too much um and according to the database it has, like, it had recorded all the U.S. homicides in which four or more people were killed. And this does not include the offender, so it can't be, like, you know, murder-suicide type deal. Right. So, for the past 13 years, regardless of weapon, location, victim offenses, and relation- relationships or motive, the minimum age of the suspect was 15 or 16 okay which was kind of so that's the youngest of the young generally is yeah, 15 or 16 sense, yeah. for that crime yeah and they're saying that like the minimum like i was saying in the beginning of this the minimum age is already uh 14 for criminal responsibility in many countries and then mexico canada is 12 and then in the u.s many states like uh illinois they don't have a minimum age yeah they don't have an age they don't have an age at all yeah which is good and bad in a sense because and at this point they have to prove that there is ill intentions or that the kid was just really you know it was an accident i mean even if the kid was trying to be vindictive i don't think a nine-year-old can understand what actually can result from that you know what i mean 
And, like, I wonder if the kid showed remorse. Yeah, and that was, like, one of the biggest things for the props. One of the biggest challenges for the prosecutors was trying to prove that the child, like, had the intent to kill. Right. And uh, this is actually required for first-degree murder cases. They have to prove that. Yeah. That, yeah. So a former prosecutor turned juvenile defense lawyer in Chicago, Kos, uh, I can never say this dude's name, Kos, I actually Googled it, Costopolosa, Costopolosos? Gus, his name's Gus, and he's a defense lawyer for juvenile offenders in yes. Chicago. Anyways, uh, he was saying that, like, nine-year-olds, most nine-year-olds don't even know that Santa Claus doesn't even exist. Like, the, they don't know people die and don't come back to life. Like, they, he, he was saying that, like, nine-year-olds can form an intent to commit murder, but they don't know the actions that actually, you know, the consequences of You don't the really actions. understand Yeah, it. they don't understand it at all. Yeah. So, with the, the age limit being 14 in many countries, Gus actually was really proving that, like, hey, you know, like, that this is why it's 14, like... The at, age at, being 14 for criminal responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And he was going off of his victim's age and stuff like that, so... Yeah. What it really came down to is that in the nineteen or 1890s, Illinois became the first place in the world to establish a juvenile court and thereby taking minors out of, like, the adult system. Oh. So he was really playing on the age and Illinois's, like, play factor in this, in a sense. And he was trying to say, like, hey, you know, this is from, like, the 1890s. Let's, you know, let's update this and let's think of this logically nowadays. Okay. And... Hence why all of those statistics that they brought up throughout a lot of the court proceedings and stuff, because they're showing that, you know, crime is happening at a younger age, and this might be something that we need to look more into because it, we might be overlooking something that we need to attack now. Makes sense. And that, that's just my opinion of what I was reading for it. So, um... When what it came down to in this case was if he's if the nine year old is convicted, he could just be placed on probation for five years, and not and, that kid needs help and not be on probation beyond the age of twenty one. Oh God! Therapy and counseling would likely be involved in that too. Still, he needs like extensive help. That is. Yeah. If he's and making decisions and committing actions like that at nine, like, I don't think he should be locked up for the rest of his life, per se, but he needs to be in a mental facility and be assessed for, like, a hot minute before he gets let back out. So, probation is, at his age, is is the most likely, like, the most out, likely outcome that's going to happen. There. You can't really throw a nine-year-old in juvie. Yeah, but also under Illinois law, a suspect suspect younger than ten cannot be detained, and a minor is not given a public jury trial and not entitled to one unless the minor is charged as an adult. Wait, so he can't even be detained in a mental health facility? Uh, -uh. the filing what? of the murder charge against him under ten is rare. 
but it's not unprecedented. So, like, uh, shit, what was it? March of 2019, uh, a Michigan judge dismissed a murder charge against a nine-year-old accused in a fatal shooting of his mother in the home near Sturgis. Because of so, his age. Yeah. So it's, it like you were saying, it's by the judge, it's the date, it's right. the timing, if it's the holidays, if it's not the holidays, if it's Monday, if it's Friday, if it's Wednesday, you know, shit like that. It all played into it. And from what I'm reading, it sounded like the court date sentencing was recently, but I can't find any of, like, the Mm-mm. cases. Like, there's no research. So I will follow up back up on this one because I'm kind of interested on it. Because... It's a minor, and the kid is so young, too. We might not ever know what actually happens. But that scares me because, like I said, kid doesn't deserve to rot in prison for the rest of his life, but, like, that kid needs help. They need to do something. Well, it said therapy and counseling is going to be... He needs to be put in, like, a mental institution, though, I think. But he can't be detained. I'm just saying. I don't know. Yeah. So, that was my story. Well, I always forget to it's say, one. I'm going to have pictures of Heinz on the Facebook and Instagram, so if you want to see what that motherfucker looks like, go on the Facebook and Insta page. I won't be able to do anything for Wade's case this week, because there's not going to be any pictures, because none of the personal information of the minor is released. Um, but besides that, thanks. I think that's it. Bye, bitches. Goodbye. Okay,